So today, since you're already standing, why don't you grab a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 5. Love for you to read with me this morning, John chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 18. We're going to go through 29. If you need a Bible, look right there in front of you and grab one of those pew Bibles. It might be right there in front or down the way from you. You can take that Bible. You can open up to page 890, and there you will find yourself at John chapter 5. We would love for you to take that Bible as a gift if you need it. Please uh, take it, use it. Um, we would love for you to know more about Christ Jesus, and the way to find about, out about Christ is to read His Word. Just to bring you up to speed, Jesus has entered into a conflict. Imagine that. Uh, this is nothing new for Jesus. Uh, God coming to live in the flesh encounters conflict with the man he created. This is quite natural, a quite natural response of man and his sin. And they're upset, they being the religious leaders, the Jews, because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. A man who was an invalid for 38 years was told to get up, grab his mat, and walk. And the Jews have become so particular with their religious expectations that even a man who had been crippled for 38 years and carrying his mat as a way of showing that he is healed was looked at as one who was doing work, was breaking the law. So now Jesus is under question, and now Jesus speaks boldly. And we're going to see that Jesus leaves no room for indifference. So read with me. Starting in John chapter 5, verse 18 through 29. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment 
because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let us pray together. Father, we are most grateful for your word. Thank you. Christ came to live among us, and he left no room for indifference. Father, my specific prayer is for the hearts in this room today that are as dry as the ground outside. By your grace, may you bring a freshness. May you bring life. May there be trust in Christ Jesus today in the hearts in this room. I am powerless to convince or persuade or change any heart in heart. So I pray your grace goes before me as I strive to faithfully preach this message according to your will. We ask that it be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. There are several places where you would expect to stand in a line, right? If you're going to see the Avengers Endgame on opening weekend, you would expect it to stand in a long line as you were to enter into the movie theater. Or if you were to go down to Orlando to the magic place, you could stand one hour and 45 minutes in the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. I would prefer to go to, it's a small world where it's only 10 minutes and I can ride it over and over again. Or if it's a hot summer's day, you can go to a water park and you can jump, jump into a lazy river and enter the log jam of everyone and their floats close together. The thought of it kind of freaks me out just a little bit. People love being in the lazy river, and there you can get jammed. But also, you can enter a traffic jam if you were to go to Paris, to the Louvre, and go take a look at Mona Lisa. There are plenty of people who are standing in line to get one look at a picture that's really not big at all. It's on a big wall, but that's about it. You see it and go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, she's not smiling like I thought and walk away. There are all types of lines that you can stand in. I feel bad for you ladies at sporting events and conferences you may go to. Uh, when it comes time to go to the restroom, it seems like the ladies' line is always backed up. But there are certain places that you would go you would not expect a long line. One of those places is Mount Everest. For anyone who would accept the challenge of climbing Mount Everest, you would think that once they reached the top to summit the mountain, that they would be all by themselves. But it's amazing when one person accepts the challenge and then another person accepts the challenge, then it becomes common. And as of this year, there are record numbers of hikers who are climbing Mount Everest. And once they get to the summit they find that they're not by themselves. There's, in fact, a long line 
to reach the top. There's a picture this past week of them standing in a long line waiting. In fact, it's become dangerous standing in those conditions uh, to the human health. But you wouldn't expect that at the top of Mount Everest. Another place where maybe you're not expecting to see a line is in this passage today in John chapter 5. You say, hey, we didn't read of any lines. We didn't hear people complaining in line. But there's actually a long line here in John chapter 5, a traffic jam. The Jews are stacked up as they're trying to be in the rare company of the most righteous. The group that is far more superior than anyone else. And a large group of them suppose that Jesus is trying to elbow his way to the front of the line. Jesus did not come to earth so that he could summit the man-made religious mountain. He came because he created man and he alone is perfectly righteous. He is equal with God the Father and he leaves no room for indifference. This is our passage today. This is the context. And Jesus is standing before the Jews. And he's made bold statements. Say this is the, the mountain, the theological mountain, the, the mountaintop here in the book of John. And in the time that remains to us, we just want to break down these few verses. Read with me again in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. A clear distinction is drawn between Jesus and the Jews. Between holy, infinite God and finite, fallen human beings. Jesus does not reject that he was equal with God, but the idea that somewhere along the way that he became like God. That's the accusation. That you're saying, Jesus, that you have become like God. He has not become like God. He is God. And because he is God, he is equal with God. Verse 19 and 20. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Most sons during their time on earth followed their father's trade. This fit within the cultural context of the day. Jesus, for most of his years on earth, followed Joseph, his earthly father's trade, and was a carpenter. But this is not the real point of verse 19. What Jesus is not saying is that he has been watching his father and everything that his father does, then he reciprocates. No. He's saying what the father does, I do. I see my father do it. I do the same. 
Jesus did not become like his heavenly father by watching and then growing into the same mold. He only does what he sees the father doing because they are the same. That word, likewise. You may hear this and you say, Brian, I have a good understanding of what you're talking about here this morning. I'm quite familiar with Jesus. But it's John in his writing that slows it down after the healing of the man who's an invalid for 38 years. He slows it down, narrows in the focus and says, this is Jesus. This is who Jesus says that he is. And because this is the case, we must slow down. And we must receive it today. Jesus did nothing of his own accord. Because if he did, then that would mean there would be two opposing gods. There can't be two opposing wills. Because if there's two opposing wills, two opposing gods. So it's not God the Father and God the Son going against each other. So he did nothing of his own accord. He did all that the Father was doing. He can't do anything outside of the Father's doing. We, on the other hand, as a creation, as a people that he created, we can only do what is outside of the Father's doing. Hear that clearly. We can only do what is outside of the Father's doing. That is until the grace of God intervenes. Although we're sweet and kind and compassionate and generous and loving towards each other, this is not the natural disposition towards God. So it's Jesus who, who for us paints a picture that we can see of the Father. He exegetes the Father. Today, I'm taking a passage And all week long, I've studied this passage. And what I want to do today is, as I've exegeted the scriptures, I want to bring it forth and say, this is what the word says to the best of my ability. Jesus, when he lived on earth, exegeted the Father. So if we've ever said, I just want to see God. Jesus was the perfect picture of the Father. So Jesus Christ is distinguished from all other men. There was no will in him which had to be broken. From start to finish, he was in most a manifest agreement with the one who sent him. They were together as one. It is a dangerous and deadly road if we try to exegete the Father. If we think, you know what, you want to know what God's like? Let me tell you what God is like based on my experience, based on what my heart feels about God. Many people do this. And sadly, many people do this in the local church. What we think about God the Father is not what Scripture says about God the Father, not what Jesus says about God the Father, but what we want to think God the Father to be. One of those areas happens to be in judgment. We would like to think that, yes, God will judge, and he is just to judge, but surely a loving father would not judge a creation to an eternity in hell. There's got to be a point when a loving father 
would say, stop, that is enough. I have punished you for enough of eternity. I'm calling it quits. There have been faithful men and women who have taught the word, who have led conferences, who have been faithful, and then they fall away because no longer do they want to believe the God of the Bible. They want to believe the God of their own heart. Maybe you're here today and you're not convinced that what God's word says is true is fully true. Maybe you want to step in and stop it when it comes to eternal damnation. Maybe you wouldn't vocalize it out loud, but based on the way we would live our lives, we would say, surely eternity in hell would not be forever. I mean, why would you pay an eternal punishment for something you did for just a few years on earth? And yet it doesn't make us comfortable to think about eternity and those people that we love and even those people we don't get along with that who reject Christ will spend all of an eternity there separated from God. There's something in our finite minds, something in our wicked hearts, apart from the grace of God, who says, surely that can't be God the Father. Jesus is standing in his place, and he perfectly exegetes the Father so that we, as we fall short, can look to Jesus. We are not the ultimate authority on who God is. Jesus is. That's his position as he stands in place. And Jesus leaves no room for indifference. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. None of the Jews could honestly make this statement. Jesus did not just live more like the Father. He lived the same as his Father, identical as God in the flesh. You may have heard this all of your life and you're going, I get it. God in the flesh. Here's the question. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe that Jesus was God in the flesh? John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip walked with Jesus for three years, and yet being that close, smelling Jesus, seeing Jesus, walking alongside him, and he did not see the Father in Jesus. Yes, we can be in church our whole lives and miss it. If we don't truly believe before these men could shout blasphemy towards Jesus, in John chapter 5, Jesus says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. So what we see Jesus doing is modeled directly from the Father. So if you're saying, I just want to see God the Father, show, him, show himself to me, he has looked to the Son. But for everyone, this doesn't work someone who was pretty famous back in the 80s who had a talk show, Phil Donahue. There's still some men who are leading talk shows today. I guess you, you have the likes of Steve Harvey. But they're not as many as there used to be, and Phil Donahue was one of them. His best-selling autobiography 
The celebrated talk show host explains why he left the faith. This is what Phil Donahue says. If God the Father is so all-loving, why didn't he come down and go to Calvary? Then Jesus could have said, this is my Father in whom I am well pleased. How could an all-knowing, all-loving God allow his Son to be murdered on a cross in order that he might redeem my sins? One commentator says Donahue's indictment of God's love comes from ignorance of the Scriptures. For Jesus' claims of equality with the Father make the Father a sharer in Jesus' sacrifice, pain, and love. What the Son felt, the Father felt. Verse 19 says the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. Christ did go to the cross because he had a loving father. And because Christ loved his father, he went to the cross. He was murdered by the creation who was against him. God laid his son down upon the cross. Jesus laid himself down on the cross because they were together. Man didn't win. Man didn't triumph over God. Satan didn't win at the cross. Jesus had to go to the cross and shed his blood because all of us, our blood is infected with sin. We come from the first Adam. We're separated from God. We need a sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He did all of the Father's will all the way through the call to give his life and rise up from the dead. Do you trust this sacrifice? Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you trust what he did on the cross? Or have you convinced yourself that the cross is just one of many ways in order to get to heaven? If it's convenient for you, follow the Christian way. If it's more convenient, follow another way. Jesus leaves no room for indifference. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. If you're taking notes, I want to give you four uh, points that we can take from this passage right here in which Jesus spoke. He says, truly, truly, which means amen. This is the truth. I want you to hear it. So let's break it down. Jesus leaves no room for indifference. And the first thing we see is that the Son possesses sovereign authority. So also, the Son gives life to whom He will. These men stand before Him and reject Him. And if they're rejecting Christ, they're, reject, they're rejecting eternal life. But Christ is saying, I have the sovereign authority. And those whom I will save, I will save. They will be surely saved. There will be no doubt in me saving them because it's me who is coming to them. 
I was sharing with someone this week, we were hearing each other's testimonies. One thing we said is that, you know, when we became followers of Christ, the thing that was clear is that all we wanted in that moment was Jesus. Why do we want Jesus in that moment? Because he has come for us. He calls out as the good shepherd, as we memorized this week, and we are his sheep, and the sheep hear his voice. The son possesses sovereign authority to save. And when he saves, it is a spiritual down payment. It is real substance. You may think to yourself, to, to just confess the Christ seems too simple. What else must I do? There's nothing you can do but trust that he did it all. And when you make the good confession, you know you're trusting in what he did as a down payment for you. And it was accomplished at the cross. There's real substance to this salvation. Even as we walk here on this earth, we have eternal life as we look to Christ. Number two, the son delivers judgment. So not only does he possess sovereign authority to save, but he also has sovereign authority to judge the dead. To throw into hell, to throw into the eternal lake of fire. He possesses this type of authority and he will deliver judgment. Why? That all may honor the Son. The Father wants the Son to be honored as a picture of himself. As the Son comes and lives on the earth, he wants him to be honored. <coughs> Number three, the Son is due the highest honor. Not just that we would respect Jesus like we respect our parents or that we respect Jesus as we would a governing authority or, reject, or um, respect Jesus like another God as if any others did exist. No, we would respect him and give him the highest honor above all because he and the Father are one in activity and honor. As he acts on earth and receiving honor together, they are one. So that means that Jesus is not the temporary sub for the eternal father. Jesus is not an ambassador to come forth and proclaim that he's from the kingdom of God. No, he is the king. He is the king. All authority resides with Christ. He is due highest honor. As we see in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we see here. In John chapter 5. So whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must take heed to this because we do live in a day, as many who have come before us have lived in a day where it's easy to live a life of comfort, of pleasure, getting along with everyone else, which means that if we truly believe this, but we don't want to offend, we keep it to ourselves. 
That's why I asked you earlier, do you really believe that there is an eternal hell? Do you believe that there's an eternal king? If we really believe this, then we'll know that there's no room for indifference, which means that we don't go and bulldoze over people and make them believe in Jesus. That is impossible for us to do. But we go in grace and truth, and we boldly proclaim Jesus. Which I don't know about you and where you're sitting right now and what that makes you think about, but for me, all week, mulling over this passage, I have been deeply convicted of the priorities in my life. The things that I get bent out of shape about compared to Christ being the king, being one with the Father. If where you're seated today, you believe that there are other options than Jesus, do you know what that means? In the deepest part of your heart, this is what it means. It means that you hate Christ. You say, no, 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 I love Jesus, but I, I love many other ways. You do not love Jesus. You can say you love Jesus, but what's revealed in your heart is in hatred for Christ. You see, it's either you love him or you hate him. You're either for or against Christ. There's no middle fence to plop down on. For those of you who were raised in the local church and were in student ministry in the 1980s and 1990s, aren't you grateful for all the skits that we saw and practiced? There's one skit called The Fence. It's a person who's pretending to sit on the fence and they're tempted to go the way of righteousness, but then uh, the temptation over here for sin is, is just too great and, and they can't make a decision so they stay on the fence and there's many different scenarios that are played out. And then finally, the character, there's always in every skit in the 1980s and 1990s, there's a character who plays Satan. Is there not? Oh, you, you never played that role. Okay, whatever. Then you're, you're better than me. The Satan comes up and he grabs the person who's sitting on the fence and he says, I own the fence and walks off. And, and that's to bring fear and concern to all of us who are compromising who aren't ready to make a bold step in following Christ. I appreciate the skit. Saw it many times. Even participated in the skit. And I played all the different roles, I believe. But there's no middle fence. There's no middle fence. Jesus never teaches of a middle fence. You're not sitting on a fence deciding what to do. If you're not for Christ, you're against Christ. If you don't love Christ, you hate Christ. Matthew 12, 30. Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus made it clear that if you're not for me, you're against me. Hear this clearly today, church, that if we're not for Christ, we're against Christ. Number four, the Son provides eternal life. He provides eternal life. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. 
get that, that it's not will have eternal life, has eternal life right now. Maybe the reason why we're not so passionate about Jesus is because we're waiting for eternal life that he promised us. Well, once I get to heaven, then of course, yes, I'll praise Jesus. But while I'm here on this earth, let me have my life. Let me do the things I want to do. But Jesus says not will have eternal life, but has eternal life. It is the here and now. One day, yes, but here as well. The transfer has already taken place. You have passed out of death into life, delivered from the power of death. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you have eternal life right now? Are you walking in eternal life today? I appreciate what A.W. Pink says, the hearing ear and the believing heart are the consequences of having eternal life and not the qualifications for obtaining it. Then it is added and shall not come into condemnation. This guarantees the future. You're saying, how do I know if I could be ready to follow Christ? Are you ready to trust in him? Right now, in your life, do you want to put all of your hope in Jesus? Do you trust that what he did on the cross was a full payment for your sins? That the wrath of God has been satisfied on your behalf? Because Jesus took it upon himself. He drank from the whole cup, not leaving one drop. Do you believe this? That Jesus is your Savior? That he's your Lord? Are you willing to follow him today? If, if, if it is a resounding yes, then trust in him. Follow him. The result is that you've been given ears to hear and a heart to believe. And he guarantees you a future. Another man goes on to say the distinction between present and future is not thereby canceled out, but eternal life does begin qualitatively in the present. Death also gains a different content. This, this is why I wanted to read this quote to you. Listen to this. Death also gains a different content than what it usually has for humans. Already in this life, it is experienced as a passage to true eternal life and thus loses its all-threatening, ultimately critical character for the future. Speaking of death here, this is what he says. It is no longer ahead of a person but behind him or her. Is death behind you? Or are you fearing it before you? Because when you have eternal life in Christ, death is now behind you. That is not to take lightly the pain and the sting of death that we still experience when we lose loved ones. And the pain and the sting that people will feel when we too are gone. But we do not have to fear death if we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. For Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's no condemnation, what is there to fear as you leave this present earth and go into eternity to reside with Christ forever where he is standing in your place 
and you will not be condemned as guilty of your sin, but you have been set free from your sin, which means you are free to worship now and for all of eternity the God who made you, who loves you. His purpose for you is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. This is hope for us. A hope that will not disappoint. And then in verse 25 and following, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is not afraid to offend. He is bold in his statements. He's unashamed. He does not apologize. There's an urgency to his message. And when he's speaking of the dead, he's speaking of the spiritually dead. For we are all dead before Christ gives us life. That's our position. We're dead in our sins. That's what God told Adam and Eve, yes, I had to think about that for a minute, the very first two people, he told them that if they ate of that fruit, they would surely die. And we come in a line of sinners, and we too are dead in our sins. This makes clear what man contributes towards his salvation. The spiritually dead sinner contributes nothing to his salvation. Nothing except his sin. Do you believe that? The only thing you have to give in exchange for eternal life is your sin. Outright rebellion against God. Which means the only hope we have in our salvation is grace. Grace. May that never become old to you, old-fashioned to you. May it weigh heavy upon our hearts because it is that truth which leads us to enjoy the eternal life that we have been given. It's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us living on this earth downcast, saddened, but filled with hope. We of all people should be happy, joyful, and have a reason to live. I know of those who are a couple of generations older than me. I see their countenance. It's downcast. I know what they're thinking. God, would you just take me already? Would you just take me into eternity? I'm done living on this earth. I'm done being disappointed by a man. And they trust in Jesus as Savior, but they want it to be done. No. They're here because God has them here. And of all people, they should have joy that they have each and every day to live on this earth. There's a reason why you're here. If you're struggling with that right now in your life, of what's your purpose and your existence here on this earth as a follower of Christ, he has you here for his glory. Begin there. Begin there. John 6, 63 through 67. 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. If you were doubting when that statement was made earlier and you're thinking, no, 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 I do have something to bring. I do have goodness within me. I have something that's lovely and presentable to Christ. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked after him. They no longer walked with him. His disciples that walked with him heard this. They said, we're out. What was exposed their sin. The criterion for life or death is not bound up within our human desires, what we hope it will be or not be in the future. But in hearing the word of the Son of God, it is bound up in the promises of the Son of God. There's so much that's going on in this context. I mean, we really haven't hit on the Jews and how they're coming against Jesus, but they did not believe that he was the Son of God. But it didn't matter. Because when they stand before him one day in judgment, they're not going to be on equal ground. They may feel like they're on equal ground. They may feel like they had authority over him here in John chapter 5. One day it will be clear no matter what they thought here on this earth that he is the only one to judge. Realize this before it's too late church, realize this before it's too late. May we not hold an indifference, whatever you want to believe. For our children, I urge you, I I hope that in your home, you're not leading in your home and carrying this philosophy that, hey, whatever my kids want to believe, that's good for them as long as they believe in something. That's indifference. And there's no room for it. The gospel is offensive. If anyone ought to be offended by what we believe, it ought to be those who are closest to us. They ought to know it. We ought to love them. But we have no room to back up when it comes to who is Jesus. Because there is a coming judgment. And I want to end with this. I'm convicted. I want you to know, as a pastor, I am convicted. For we sound the trumpet of grace as we should every time we gather together. But the recent, recent conviction that I've had in my heart is that you do not hear enough of the eternal damnation that awaits those who reject Christ. That is the Bible too. Amen? We say things like, we don't want to scare people to hell. 
or away from hell. And yet, there's more to salvation just, than just escaping hell. But preaching of eternal damnation is not a method of trying to scare you away from hell. It's to present you with the reality that's before every sinner who rejects Christ. And for us as the church, to be grateful that we have been rescued from this eternal damnation. Acts 10.42 And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. So the living in Christ, the dead, those who are separated. Revelation 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. That is fearful. For if we are judged by what we have done, we are done for. We're done for. Romans 2, 6 through 11. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Paul is making his argument that whether you're a Jew or a Greek, you reject Christ, there you will reside together in the eternal lake of fire. But as a Jew or a Greek, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, there you will reside with him for all of eternity. What is it for you? Is there indifference in your heart, or is it clear that Christ is one with the Father, that he is the only way to the Father? think, well, maybe I can persuade Jesus when the time of judgment comes. There are a lot of people who are smooth talkers. Man, they know how to get a bargain. They know how to talk the price down. But Jesus is not a weak dandelion that is afraid to offend someone in judgment. He is the roaring lion of Judah, and he will not bow down to simple man's woeful petition. There's no convincing him otherwise. Today, please put your faith and trust in Christ. Trust these words today. Know that they are indeed true as we've taken them from the word. Jesus leaves no room for indifference. The Son possesses sovereign authority. The Son delivers judgment. The Son is due the highest honor. The Son provides eternal life. Christ did not come down to earth so that he could summit the man-made religious mountain. He came to save man because he alone is perfectly righteous. He is equal with God the Father, and he leaves no room for indifference. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and our time together. May we be most convinced through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that Christ came as God in the flesh. A doctrine that we must not take lightly or become bored with or indifferent with, but to highly regard, to cherish, to believe. And with this strong conviction, Father, may we go forth as bold witnesses of Jesus. Proclaim his name. A name in which every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of you, God, the Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.